Good evening and welcome to Arena. And tonight we are live from the Pavilion Theatre in Dunlera, County Dublin, with a special programme for the RTE Short Story Competition Awards in honour of Francis McManus. All ten shortlisted stories have now been broadcast on RTE Radio 1 and published on rte.ie forward slash culture. And tonight we will find out who's walking away with the top prizes, which includes a first prize of €5,000. This year's judges, Lisa McInerney, Ferdia McConnell and Eilish Nugivna are here with me to take us on a whistle-stop tour through this year's stories and sitting in the front row, serenely, I am told, are the ten short-listed writers. But before we get into the discussions, some music to celebrate the occasion our first in-person awards night in three years. We're going to hear a song called The Meter Man with words by Roisin Sheeran, music by Rosaline Lenehan, and The Meter Man is sung for us now by Susanna Derrickson with Rosaline's son, Connor Lenehan, on piano. Expecting it to And found it a little bit disquieting She had just finished lunch Which hadn't been much A grapefruit, some coffee She was dieting Yes, indeed the Meter Man, sung for us by Susanna Derrickson, uh, Connor Linehan at the piano, and Alvin McDonough on cello there as well. Don't know if that's based on a true life incident or not, as some of our stories might be that we're going to hear about. And before we start, why don't I list all ten of the stories that are shortlisted for the competition this year and have been shortlisted. Don't take anything from this. They are in alphabetical order according to title. That's the order I'm calling them out in. A Nice Cup of Tea by Bernard Crowley. Big Why, Little Why by Brendan Killeen. Cherries by Sarah Keaton. Knorvarlach Uignach by Nicola Crean. Firestarter by Alan McCormack. Fishing for Pike by Antoinette McCarthy. Scrappage by Angela Flannery. Strawberry Season by Doreen Finn. The Big House of Nora Toad by Rachel Hines. And The Coast of Africa by Julie Cruikshank. Congratulations to all ten shortlisted writers. <laughs> And so to the judges, in alphabetical order according to surname. I'm going to be doing a lot of alphabetical order, it would seem. Uh, Ferdia McConnell, first of all. I, I know, Ferdia, when you were asked about the competition, you said that you, you want to enter a human vision for a little while, feel mesmerised, uplifted, surprised and transported. Did you get all of your wishes granted? I did, and more. And I was delighted by the voices in the stories, um, the wry wit and, and the expression, and also they took risks. The stories took wonderful, wonderful risks, and I thought they were just, so, they paid off so well. You pay, you've, you've kind of divided them into two big families, if you like. Oh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but um, I, it's the way I saw it. I saw that there were several, some stories were set in the epic, ordinary life of people struggling to get through uh, bereavement, loss, a dysfunctional family, and, and other um, things that just came out of them from, from left field, including, you know, uh, trying to get a, mom, a bereaved mom's car taken away. Um, the other stories I thought were hallucinogenic. 
uh, unpredictable, uh, located in odd, strange terrains where nothing normal happened and the world was a better place for it. <laughs> and like your children, you loved them equally. It didn't matter which particular family they fell into, I'm presuming. Lisa McInerney, this is uh, your second year judging the competition, in fact, Lisa. You've taken on the mantle of the Stinging Fly editor in the meantime. Um, did you notice any kind of anything different in the stories that were coming through this year? Do you know what I noticed? There were, there were fewer stories that were concerned with lockdown, which was mm. good. I think that, that there was kind of like, it felt almost like a lifting of something off our shoulders and the stories were more in, inclined to kind of explore a bigger and wider area. So that was good. And the other thing about these stories is they're written for radio. What do mm. you think that gives them? Because we'll come back to this, I'm sure, several times tonight. Yeah, like, so the stories that we would have reacted most positively to were people who knew that they were writing for this medium. So they would have been, like, stories that sounded great being read out. So, like, big characters and, and great dialogue, very distinct scenarios, you know. So they, they were the stories that we were excited when we read, God, I really want to hear this. Mm. Yeah. All right, and Eilish Nagrivna then, the, the third of our judges. Uh, you've described this year's crop, Eilish, as wonderfully various, and you mentioned that there was a great deal of humour in the submissions, light-hearted and viciously dark. And we certainly don't always hear that, do we? <laughs> how, how important was that aspect of the stories for you, Eilish, the, the, the humorous side? Um, pretty important. Um, I mean, so a few of the stories, I, I think, were primarily humorous, like Knorberluk, and maybe Firestarter, The Big House of Dora Toad, but which isn't to say that they weren't deep and, um, uh, and, and, and had good idea, important ideas. But um, a lot of the stories dealing with, quite, with sad subjects, and there were a lot of them actually dealing with death and bereavement and so on, um, are also sparkling with irony and humour, like scrappage, which was mentioned, the story about clearing out a house after a mother's death, a nice cup of tea, mainly set at a funeral, and so on. So um, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, you could do a, a psychological analysis of this and wonder what's that about that we're talking about bereavement and death and we're... But there's lots of laughs, but I'm not going to do that. I think in uh, terms of writing, um, that... It is, you know, humour in language is an imaginative act, mm. and I think that's going on. And I think um, it also indicates that the writers want to be entertaining. And yeah. so that's key, I think, to yeah. a radio story, even more so than a story on the page. Yeah, you want to keep that listener listening. Yeah, and they went out, they went out live on air over the past um, 10 nights. And, and, you know, if you're not enjoying something, you turn off. That's what you do. You turn the radio yeah. off and don't go anywhere. Please. Um, so it's vital, vital to have that entertaining bit. And since they were waiting for radio, one of the things that we're going to have is live readings tonight. And let's start with the first of this year's stories. All of the stories have gone out on air, read by a range of actors, available to listen back to, of course, if you go to the RTE website. But tonight we have Katrina Niwaraku and Rory Nolan here with us to read extracts live. So we're going to start with Cherries by Sarah Keating read this extract by Katrina Niwarku. Finn was your first baby too, but you seemed born for motherhood, knew all the tricks, how to relieve wind, how to soothe a tooth-swollen gum, how to get a baby to sleep. And the answer was so easy. As our babies leapt over the milestones, we pulled out our blue-veined breasts and fed them and fed them. We fed them through fevers and flus, through dark winter nights 
and the raucous dawn of spring. We fed them before they could feed themselves, and, unabashed, we kept feeding them after. Together, we faced the stares of other mothers, of men. We met their eyes with our love-softened gaze, and we refused to be ashamed. These were our babies, formed from our flesh, fed from our flesh. They were our miracles, and our milk was our blessing. We squirted it into their gummy eyes. We patted it onto their inflamed bottoms. We massaged it into their cradle-capped scalps. It was our lacteal magic, and every time they pawed at our chests, pulled our tops down, shouted boo-boo in their gluey baby voices, we smiled and pulled them to our laps and let them take what they wanted, what they needed from us. A section there from Cherries by Sarah Keating, one of the ten listed short stories uh, for this year's uh, RTE short story competition in honour of Francis McManus. What made that story stand out for you, Eilish? Well, I I loved Cherries. Um, Well, first of all, it's a very well-made story. It's kind of very well-crafted and perfectly formed, and it's written in a kind of clear, loose style. I I just found it totally gripping. Um, It's one of the stories which isn't, in fact, humorous, although the dialogue is pretty snappy, and it's kind of electrified by, it seemed to me, by grief and anger, which is also always a good driver in a story. Um, It's a story about a mother whose little son is deaf as a result of measles treated too late, and how the mother was influenced by a great friend she met at a breastfeeding clinic, kind of a passionate believer in nature and opposer of conventional medicine, um, a kind of anti-vaxxer in a way. Uh, uh, But um, I think any story or fiction that is about injustice caused by adults and their ideologies and preoccupations or their cruelty or whatever, not the case in this story, makes me seize with indignation. I mean, I've noticed it in classical novels and so on. I always think that, I mean, it's not a trick, but it's mm. it's a good... It, I, I think, you know, Dickens says, make them laugh, make them cry, make them wait. This is a story that makes you scream. It made me want to scream. Well, let's... Um, we have Sarah Keating, uh, the, the writer, with us this evening. We'll call Sarah up for, for a quick chat. Was injustice at the, in your mind, as, as Eilish has suggested to us there, certainly motherhood and how people are judged around various methods of motherhood seems to be important in this story, Sarah. Yeah, um, it was really interesting listening to it last night and hearing what the judges kind of thought of it um, and to hear them describe it as angry, um, which was a really interesting perspective for me. And especially when you listen to it, it's a different text kind of than what you wrote when you have a very clear voice in your own head. Um, I suppose for me, the driving force was more than injustice, but more, I suppose, the chancy nature of life. And for me, that's the the line in the story that for me kind of sums up what it is, the fact that this mother has, even when she thinks she's made all the right decisions, and she has vaccinated her baby, but ultimately she can't protect her child from what's going to happen to it. And obviously in this case, it's something terrible that happens when he's very small, you know, but maybe that could happen when your child is a teenager or at any other different stage of your life. And the vulnerability of that for somebody wanting to protect somebody, but ultimately not being in a position 
to control another person's life. Well, thanks very much for sharing your thoughts on the story and congratulations on the, the shortlisting, Sarah. Thank you, Sean. And Sarah, of course, uh, took joint second prize last year for her story, Momo, which had a somewhat similar topic or theme in some ways, but treated very differently. Let's move on then to story number two. Uh, uh, this is Firestarter by Alan McCormick. Lisa, maybe you'd set the scene for us here. Oh, very gladly. Uh, Firestarter is, is one of our stories that I found very dauntlessly strange. It's set in a, in a therapeutic retreat where there's some very memorable characters taking respite from the world while building their own endearingly wonky version of reality. And that's before you get to the staff. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, Ferdy, you describe this as like being on stage in the middle of a glorious post-punk anthem by your favourite band. It's I, wild I stuff. It had a profound effect on me, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> it, it's different. It's full of mad rituals. Um, th things go on. It's a dysfunctional situation um, where youth are trying to be um, helped through their tough times by people who really shouldn't be, who should be actually being treated yeah. rather than. And it contains my favourite uh, opening line: um, uh, "Theo thinks he's Christ." <laughs> I hope that's not what Rory Nolan has to start with now, because we're going to hear an extract from Firestarter, read for us by Rory Nolan. At lunch, a woman called Ruth helps out in the dining room, a silent waitress in her early thirties with piercing eyes peeping out from under a thick, dark fringe. I'm struggling with finishing my salad and she notices, sighing slightly as she takes the plate away, her hip brushing the corner of the table, making my glass tremble. I notice the fine bead of a gold chain around her neck, the unmistakable outstretched outline of a crucifix nestling under her blouse. Used to be a nun. We're lucky to have her, Simon tells me later in the lounge. Doesn't say much. Goes with the territory, I suppose. Maybe it was a silent order. No, I don't think so. Unless you know more than I do. Now, Ursula tells me you saw purple in the healing session. That's a good sign. Purple is the colour of celestial healing. Just don't think too much about her body. That's my domain. He notices my cuts and scars. Tickle them away? No, Christ, no, I say, and get out of the room. Tickling is God's way of making uptight shit loosen up. He shouts after me. And, uh, yes, uh, Rory Nolan reading there from Firestarter. And with us, uh, Alan is with us in uh, the Pavilion Theatre in Dunlair this evening up, up to have a little chat. Alan, um, well, you heard Ferdia picking up on the opening line, Theo thinks he's, he's Christ. That actually proved to be the catalyst for unlocking decades-old memories for you. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd actually been in a retreat a bit like that. I was older but actually it was a really nice retreat and it was quite a calm place. But I've, I, while I was there, this guy did say to me that he had parted the clouds and sent lightning into the trees and then went back to having a cup of tea. And um, I thought, okay. And the thing is, we just, just went along with it. But yeah. So a bit like I was saying uh, about the song that we heard at the beginning of the programme, there's an essence of r reality in the story that you're telling here. There is, there is. But I... I I, I took a, I took places I knew and then subverted them and let let things just happen, 
and all those characters are based sort of on people who won't be listening tonight, but um, they're kind of mixed together, uh, healers and, and, and people I've come across. Okay, well, congratulations on the shortlisting, Alan, and thanks for being here with us this evening. <clears throat> Let's move on to our third story now. We'll hear an extract uh, from this uh, scrappage by Angela Flannery. Before we hear the extract, Freddie, maybe you just set the scene for us, will you? It's an it's a, uh, aftermath of a bereavement, clearing out the house uh, from, from uh, departed mom and dad. And um, a piece, um, there's a sister, a big sister, who's driving it. And she's kind of like a weapon. Um, she kind of drives the whole thing. She's conflict-driven. And she's putting terrible pressure on the younger sibling. All right. Well, that, this extract from Scrappage will be read for us now by Katrina Niwarahu. I stand in the front room with my back against the fireplace, looking at rectangular outlines in the wall where family pictures used to hang. Nail by empty nail, I can visualise them. Mammy and Daddy getting married. The day Yvette made her Holy Communion. The day I made mine. Confirmation, Debs and graduation photographs. John Paul and Yvette's Millennium Wedding her looking long and slim as a calla lily. On the left, Mammy beams beneath the feathers of a pink fascinator that cost nearly a hundred pounds in clearies. A hundred pounds. And over on the right, Daddy's got up like a Lord Lieutenant in a morning coat and cravat. Clueless that he'll be dead within the year. Poor Daddy. We loved him. All of us. Katrina Niwaraku there reading a section from Scrappage by Angela Flannery. Um, a lot is to be found in skips, it would seem, outside houses. It, there's quite a lot that comes out of that moment in or that part of the story, really, isn't there, Lisa? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like the idea of a story told through objects. If we look at something like what, what people are throwing out and why, and I think Angela's gone backwards from that and kind of told a really interesting story about like the practicalities of, of life and the practicalities in this instance of what happens when you're bereaved and when parents clear out of the house and like you have to do all that so I mean she does all that but with this kind of droll observational mm. humor and and a real sting in the tail too yeah definitely sting in the tail that we spoke to Angela about this story on the program uh, during the week but I would like at this point to congratulate her because Angela has been shortlisted for newcomer of the year at the Unpost Book Awards Congratulations on that, Angela. 2022, clearly a good year for you. The Amusements is the title of that novel, published in June, and uh, the story obviously shortlisted tonight. Let's move on to story number four, and we're going to start, um, or this one is uh, Strawberry Season by Doreen Finn. Eilish, maybe you could give us a, a, a little setup here before we hear an extract from Katrina. Yeah, this is um, a lovely, simple story uh, with... Hidden depths set during a holiday in France. A girl and her parents are driving in a beautiful, flashy car, which her dad won in a raffle. I just love that <laughs> detail. And it's important because it kind of foreshadows the randomness of life uh, that Sarah was talking about there. You don't know what's around the corner. And what is around the corner is that the dog dies of heat in the back seat of this wonderful car. So you have this kind of symmetry, you know, a good random thing followed by a really bad random thing. And that's kind of the centre of the story. It's wonderfully evocative of childhood holidays. You know, the kids sitting in the car 
and the strawberry stalls on the roadside in Wexford on the way to the ferry and then in France when you get there. And uh, it's a little gem. All right, let's listen to an extract then from Strawberry Strawberry Season by Doreen Finn, read for us once again by Katrina Niwaraku. A swerve and there is the popping of loose gravel under the wheels. The engine ticks as it cools. Her dad opens the back door. Come on, boy. Come on. What's wrong? What's wrong with our big boy? Sally clambers out of the car, unsticking her legs from the seat. Jesus. Her mother takes Coco in her arms. Jesus. Coco? And it seems as though time turns in on itself. The rest of the world frozen outside the four figures and the blue car by the side of the road. Water poured now over the dog's head, his fur ruffled by anxious fingers, his eyelids lifted and dropped back into position. The French sunlight in late afternoon has a different quality, is gilded, honeyed. A dragonfly alights Sally's forearm, and she almost doesn't notice it, so light is its touch. Her parents move as though through water, slowly and without any apparent need to rush. Her father shakes his head, swears, his hands on the back of his neck. He kicks at the dusty roadside. Her mother rubs her cheek along the top of Coco's head, thumbs a tear from her face. Reading there from Strawberry Season by Doreen Finn. And Doreen is with us. Uh, Come up to me, Doreen. Uh, What is quite extraordinary about this story, Doreen, is that you wrote it on the closing date, just the day of final submissions, and bang, doof, got it in really, really quickly. Is that the nature of your writing? All very quick, done in a day? No, no. I spend years crafting and everything, and then I just, I really wanted to enter the competition, and I missed the closing date last year. And I did have the opening paragraph, which is about four lines, and then I checked the date, and it was closing at five o'clock. And I thought, oh, I'll just try. And I just and I sent it off. And and then I forgot. I kind of forgot. And then I was in sort of early September. I thought, oh, sod it. It obviously didn't happen. And then I got an email from Sarah. So it was, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations! You write your short stories in an afternoon from now on. Clearly, yeah, I think so. And I don't. I'm not a short story writer. I'm a short story reader. But I'm always in awe of people who write these beautiful stories. And but yeah, so it worked out. You certainly did sit down and be in awe of yourself then. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, all right, that's uh, Doreen Finn and Strawberry Season written in an afternoon. I give up. Let's, uh, let's move on to story number five, A Nice Cup of Tea by Bernard Crowley. Uh, give us the scene, uh, incredible kind of background to this one, Ferdia. Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a bereaved... Uh, mother, young mother, who has been, whose who's partner um, has died of an OD, and she is reflecting ruefully on many of the uh, incidents that happened in the church. That she describes the church as um, a funeral, uh, a funeral as a methadone clinic. Um, she also talks about he's married previously, and his family are up the front. She's at the back. Her, his family got priority boarding <laughs> um, at their own funeral. It's it's Riley. It's funny. It's savage. It takes many turns, and I think it's a great elemental. Direct primal scream of a story, and I think it's a great accomplishment. And also, we 
we spoke with Bernard on the programme, and it is his first ever story. This is his first publication, so what, a, what an achievement on, on that first story. Let us hear a reading from A Nice Cup of Tea. Katrina Niwaraku once more. She put the shoes back on. Sad, but you couldn't walk barefoot in the park here. Not even the kids. You'd never know what their little feet would find. The ice cream van was there and she bought herself an ice cream. A 99, the one with the flake. She was laughing to herself at the silliness and the extravagance and even the inappropriateness of it, but she didn't care. This was her moment. She thought she might go up to the grave, make sure they put him in. Do the flake add for him? Tip of tongue to top of flake, then slowly into mouth. She was pissing herself laughing, thinking about it. (laughs) It was lunchtime now, and the park was getting busy. Better compose myself, she thought. Such a giddy mood on such a sad day. I don't give a toss, she thought. But his dad is dead. What does that mean? Stuck a needle in his arm and never took it out. Is that what I'll tell him? Poor little fella. Did it in your granny's toilet. Cracked his head off the bowl on the way down. Still clean in the place she is. Trina Niwaraku there, reading from A Nice Cup of Tea by Bernard Crowley. We'll take a short break at this point and back with more from the Pavilion Theatre in Dunlera in a couple of minutes' time. And welcome back to this special arena, live from the Pavilion Theatre in Dunlera, celebrating the RTE Short Story Competition in honour of Francis McManus. And at this point, I'd like to say a very special welcome to Patrick McManus, the son of Francis McManus, who is with us in the theatre this evening. Delighted that you are here, Patrick. Let's hear uh, from our next story now, The Coast of Africa by Judy, uh, Judy Cruikshank. Lisa, set the scene here for us. Yeah, so this is, this is a lovely story. It's um, about a bereaved boy who takes a trip west with his dad after the death of his mum to visit kind of places belonging to her and beloved by her. Um, it's about grief and memory. It's really cleverly crafted and revealed. It's concerned with the shape of loss and the burden of other people's sympathy as well. Okay, um, we, we'll have a reading then. Rory Nolan will read an extract for us from The Coast of Africa by Judy Cruikshank. At breakfast the following morning, the landlady lectures them about the lake. It's deceptive, not as calm as it looks. His father barely looks up. He reads all the time now, slowly working his way through the books in the downstairs bedroom. A few months before she died, on one of the days when she couldn't sit still, the boy's mother had arranged them, grouped the spines into blocks of colour. She had seen it in a magazine. Feng Shui, positive vibes. After she had gone to lie down, the boy had walked his fingers along each colour, shelf by shelf. He listened to her moving around upstairs, the flush of the toilet, a gentle creak on the landing. Now she exists in the spaces between falling asleep and waking up, late at night when he wakes for no reason, or very early in the morning when thin light bleeds around the edges of the window blind. Fragments of her. Hair tickling his face when she bent down to kiss him goodnight. How her clothes sometimes smelled of cigarettes. 
She loved knock-knock jokes, soft hands. Sometimes he squeezes his legs to his chest, afraid of forgetting. And that is Rory Nolan reading from the Coast of Africa by Julie Cruikshank. Um, Julie, I suppose, give us a sense of the importance of Loch Fui, in, in term, which is the location for this story, and that title, The Coast of Africa. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's um, maybe landscape of loss. I don't want to sound too pretentious, but I think the lake, if anyone knows, it's it's on the border of Mayo Galway, where I'm from, and I think it's a very particular place. And I suppose I, I wasn't very interested in that kind of romantic idea that the landscape mirrors your emotions, but I was interested in how places become very significant within certain times in our life and how they take on almost... I wouldn't say supernatural, but maybe a more profound or a, a more spiritual kind of sense. And that's, I've been to that place several times with my own children, and I always found it both very strange, but also kind of compelling. And it is where this young boy is grieving his mother, but it's also a location for a real exploration of a father-son relationship. You were kind of pulling the two things, you were, you were dealing with the two things at the one time. Yeah, and, and I think that came afterwards. I realised that um, I suppose I wanted to show that for a child who faces life maybe without a parent, that the father's love, he's not an articulate person, but that that love or that desire to protect the child will see him through, almost. Well, congratulations on the shortlisting. That's Julie Cruikshank. Right, let's move on to our next story then. Uh, and as you may know, this, this, the competition is open to stories in both Irish and English. And our next story, in fact, is Osgilaga. Knavarlach Uignach, Lonely Skeleton, or Skeleton, as he's called in, in the story uh, by Nicola Crean. Uh, Ferdia, you described this as Intakarfad Agus Bonkers. Um, absolutely delighted. I thank the pagan gods of literature for bringing this story to my attention. It's, it's written in a, a kind of deadpan Gaelge. It's very funny. It sends up folk tales and fairy tales. It's about um, Skeletom, who wants to go to the local dowsa, but he has nobody to go with. So he asks his peers, the, the teddy bear's picnic, Little Red Riding Hood, Big Bad Wolf, Rapunzel, Jack and Jill, Hansel and Gretel, and Cinderella, and nobody will go with him. So he goes there in the end, and I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it is just... <laughs> All right, well, Ulkrishimid Shlokt on Shkela Nish, Kravarlach Oignach, Olivig, Katrina Niwarachu. Dear Timpel and Shea, the Kuna Ella, Knikshe, Little Red Riding Hood. In Shkela, Gleg Tama Osard, Rachula tu fin dausanacht, Neil party gum chandalang, a valet tachliam. Tachnir hula red, puin fin dausa. Gumaleshke lachise gadam an kishon skunni hurt the mashanavahish, a branchy size broiter la dene, a gazyama dig a duck in your court, hohi, a vinig red. Nidolium gumeme rationaum. Does it in gart galore, said Tom. Aber heile de Hanavar, the Muggers, Feige macht them, Kunstig Ire Lelis, and the Kurt Fierklamur and Noah. Laner, a spashtorach, the Rigasan. Nervada Gerlagshe Suiler and Big Bad Wolf. Hey, Wolf, a glade Tom, Kunstig Ire Latze. Tadausus is Gibol and Nacht. Neil party gum condolown, a valet tart lum. Nifader, a dort wolf. Haggis come a chaumer, time eh. Dear Chadalamach, 
Shin Canarvalok, Ugnok, Oliver, and Shin Catherine in the work of Nicola Crean, Lumsa, Nish. Uh, of course, Nicola, probably at this time of night, you were telling stories like that to your children around about this time, I'm guessing, because this is where this started, at a bedside. That's right. I started off telling stories to the smallies about Cinderella and then Rapunzel, and then I brought the two of them together, and I brought in all the other characters, and it came from there. August and Will the Posh, the old folks, will to Larson Shieldishin doing Dove Gokiha? Gokiliha, yeah, three August Kahar, Age August Quinn, Lania Togum, Brennan Tanavas. And who's reading to them tonight? My sister, <laughs> my babysitter, my saviour, so I could be here. And can she make up stories like you can make up stories? No chance. <laughs> Good to get that in. But uh, I'm guessing that there may be a further life in these stories because, you know, this one brings them together, but you could have loads of adventures for them in, in various mixes. I have plenty in the bag ready to go, yeah. Gurmil Magat. Well, Eilish, er, er, there's real, this is one with real humour and real fun. Could be for adults or children, I think, in fact, couldn't it? Uh, absolutely. Um, I abs- loved it, really en- enjoyable. Um, and I thought it really worked um, particularly well because it is Askelga and it kind of, you know, if you read a story, Askelga, and it's referring to Deirdre of the Sorrows and Fionn McCool and so on, that's kind of predictable. But this one is Askelga, but it's taking all these characters yeah. that we know from the Disney world and so on. And that kind of culture clash Absolutely. is Bring what, you know, is one of the things yeah. that makes it so original. Yeah. And, and, as, and as Ferdy said, we've a new Conunch now as well, Deadpan Gaelica, which we're all going to have <laughs> to learn. Great, <laughs> Let's move on to uh, story number eight, Big Why, Little Why by Brendan Action here takes place in an art gallery in Madrid. I talked earlier in the week to Brendan Killeen a couple of nights ago, in fact. So let's hear Rory Nolan read an extract from Big Why, Little Why. Now, in the mid-morning sunlight, father and son walk from the rented apartment on Siete de Julio along Calle Mayor towards the museum. They stop for a coffee. A morning coffee in a proper café has already become a routine. The father watches his son reflected in a mirror on the far wall, drinking his coffee with sucked-in cheeks, serious cheekbones from his mother, tilted head and narrow eyes, flicking his green nail-varnished fingers across his shattered phone. The father stares at his son reflected and wonders how he will die. Then, to chase the thought away, he shakes his head like a dog drinking seawater and shucks the dregs of coffee into his mouth. In the corner of the café, the TV is on. Sky News with the sound off. Headlines scrolling mutely across the bottom. An explosion somewhere, 27 dead, including women and children. The father sorts through the coins in his lined palm, pays for the coffee and, looking at the TV again, wonders when boys stop counting amongst the dead. Big Why, Little Why uh, by Brendan Killeen, read for us there by Rory Nolan. 
Uh, Lisa, if there's one thing that the, you, this story is, it's totally unpredictable. You think it's one thing, then it becomes something else, then it becomes something else. Yeah, I'm sure like the, the people who haven't read or, or heard it yet, listening to what Rory read there, were probably went, oh, I know this story. This is going to be a story about a, a dad observing his son on the cusp of adulthood and already mourning the child that he's going to lose. And no, no, this is going to morph into something very unexpected. I mean, talk about the transformative power of art. Well, you'll yeah. have to. You'll you have, have to, to read to yeah. find out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, all available on the RTE website, as I said, and I'll remind you of that address before we finish up the same. Second last story then from the shortlist, Fishing for Pike by Antoinette McCarthy. Uh, Antoinette spoke with us on the programme last week. So let's hear an extract from the story, Fishing for Pike by Antoinette McCarthy, read by Katrina Niwarku. Click, clack, click, clack, up and down the hallway. Mother's got a live one. She's back in the heels. There'll be no rest with her now. She's done her roots, piled up her hair. I said, you look like a pineapple. She said, are you getting dressed today? For weeks, we had the drag and slap of the slipper. The last one dumped her. I had to mind her, fetch and carry. Time was, it was all I wanted. The me and her of that time was. She didn't land the last one properly. That's what she's decided. She saw him through the breakup with the missus all right. Stood by while he moved the family out to move us in. Big mansion on a hill he had. Roman columns and a separate little house for the car. Wore a lot of polo necks. Had a smile that never reached his eyes. Fishing for Pike by Antoinette M- McCarthy there. Uh, Ferdia, you've described the teenager's voice here as sassy, deluded and curious. It's quite a voice. It's quite a, It's an amazing voice. Uh, it, she's great. She's just going on 15 and her mum is fishing for pikes with unsuitable uh, boyfriends and men of all descriptions who cause mayhem. But she has hooked a pike of her own in Johnny D, who wants to meet her early in the morning because he's borrowed a car. So it's, it, 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 yeah. to, to, to go into her voice, you totally find it plausible. She's a, a yeah. wonderful creation, and it has a beautiful, uh, poignant ending. Yeah, but point, and there's danger in this story as well, which I think is, is important to mention. Let's move on to our final story then, The Big House of Nora Toad by Rachel Hines. Uh, briefly, Eilish, if you could just give us the, the basic setting here. Um, well, this is a story about um, a kind of witchy uh, but appealing old woman in a, in a, in a, I suppose, a sort of a big house setting somewhere in the Midlands. It feels like Chipperary, somewhere like that to me. And it's, it's told by uh, somebody who met her, the narrator, first encountered her um, when she was a child on holiday. The, half of the stories are about holidays, actually. Yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot really of holidays in yeah. there. Someone goes on a journey and something happens. That's when she meets um, Nora Toad. And it's a story which is about very much about character. It's kind of all yeah. about the eccentric character of Nora Toad and then there's a very poignant ending to it as well. So love breaks through. But um, I thought it was a fantastic mm-hmm. example of um, yeah, how important character is. Yeah, it's all very, about that. And the much. writing, as in uh, all of them, is so, it's so rich, uh, yeah. particularly in this story. Let's yeah. have a listen to an extract from The Big House of Nora Toad by Rachel Hines, read for us by Katrina Niwaraku. I liked walking the wet, fragrant fields of summer, sheltering in a tree hollow, stripping seeds from long sheaves of grass and drawing imaginary faces on clouds with a fingertip. 
I tiptoed home by twilight like a small cat, melting into the shadows when I saw my uncle in his shop coat stumbling home from the pub after a day's work. Sometimes he caught me. In his pity, he'd buy me chips smothered in a spicy gravy sauce made of chicken fat. The coins made a tinny sound as they danced across the counter. With chips and plastic forks in hand, we'd sit on the concrete steps outside the old ball alley and watch the stars rise. That's an extract from The Big House of Nora Toad by Rachel Hines, read for us by Katrina Niwaraku. Well, there you have it. We've sprinted through the ten stories. The moment of truth awaits us after the break when we will hear who has won the top prizes. And welcome back to Arena. It is now that time. 1,700 entries into the RTE short story competition became 10 stories on the shortlist. We've discussed and heard about all of them. Remember, the 10 stories are available to read and listen back on rte.ie forward slash culture. Time now to announce the winners. I will ask Ilish Nagivna to tell us what story has won third prize of €3,000. Well, the third prize goes to a surrealist story in the realm of absurdism. Um, it takes traditional tropes and plays with them. It's entertaining, highly amusing, and would appeal to adults and children alike. Ta Anna Ohasurum, Antri Thushevrona Air, Nicola Crean. Yes, Nicola Crean. Um, the story of what happens when Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf and Jack and Jill and a whole bundle of other fairy tale characters meet a fellow who's on, a way, on his way, by the way, to a dance in Schibol Billy Brennan. Who's barn? Billy Brennan's barn. You see, Monaghan's everywhere if you want just to <laughs> b- bother to look. Okay, Kogardigus, uh, Kogardigus. Uh, Nicola, Nicola Crean on Shin. Okay, and now we will ask Ferdia McCanna with suitable tension music. Second prize, Ferdia. I'm, del- I'm delighted to say that second prize goes to a rip-roaring, blackly comic vision of deliciously unhinged behaviour in a dysfunctional rehab. It's Firestarter by Alan McCormick. <laughs> Yes, Firestarter by Alan McCormick, uh, which we heard earlier has that wonderful line about Theo the boy who thinks he's Christ at the very beginning of the story, which frighteningly comes from a real life incident in Alan's own life and uh, all of the bits of the, the healing that goes on in these rather dubious camps within that as well. So congratulations to Alan McCormick for that. And now, can we have music of a very tense nature? Put us out of our misery, Lisa. (laughs) So this story is wildly imaginative and surprising, and at the same time, it's intimate, it's deeply felt, it's familiar. 
Now, that's not an easy mix of adjectives, and yet that's how this story works. It's a rule breaker, it's a bit of a messer, but it's shot through with big questions and quiet, vital moments. With our congratulations, first prize of 5,000 euros in this year's RT short story competition in order in honour of Francis McManus, goes to Brendan Colleen for Big Why, Little Why. Big Why, Little Why by Brendan Colleen. Yes, indeed. The winner of this year's RT short story competition in honour of Francis McManus. And come over to me, come over to me now, Brendan. Congratulations, first of all. Um, we spoke on the programme about this earlier in the week. This again, this starts, in some ways, it starts as a true life incident, yeah? Yes, it did start as a true life incident on a little trip I had with my son. But uh, as I said the other night, it took, a, it took a left turn somewhere when I was writing it, and I just went with it. And I, I think it's great that RTE are supporting stories like that that are a little bit out there and kind of breaking the mould a little bit. So that was, I was a little bit nervous about sending it in, but I did read from one, some of the judges that they wanted surprises, so I gave them a little bit of a surprise. So you're now telling me that the bit where the painting comes to life didn't actually happen? No, no, that was true. My son getting out of bed early was the bit that wasn't true. It has the most beautiful line at the end of the story about fathers and sons. It is absolutely gorgeous, that closing line. So congratulations, not just on that, but on the entire story, Brendan. Well done, and congratulations to you. Thank you. Thanks a million, John. Thank you. There we go. That is it from us here at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleerat. Congratulations to Brendan Colleen, Alan McCormick, Nicola Crean, and indeed, to all ten shortlisted writers, let us acknowledge all of them. Thanks to our judges, Lisa McInerney, Ferdia McKenna and Eilish Nigivna. To actors, Rory Nolan and Katrina Niwaraku. To our musicians, Conor Lenehan, Susanna Derrickson and Alva McDonough. On sound tonight were Tom Norton, Kieran Dunn and Alwyn Walsh. The RTE Short Story Series producer is Sarah Binchy. And from Arena here in the pavilion this evening, Sinead Egan, Keshi, Michelle Gibson and Claire Hogan. Remember, rte.ie forward slash culture to see and read all the stories and to get a chance to hear them. John Creedon will be coming up, up to you shortly after the news, but Conor Lenehan and Alva McDonough are going to play a piece for us now called Requebros by Gaspar Casado. Very appropriate, given the Spanish setting of Alan McCormick's Big Why, Little Why, the winning story of this year's RTE short story competition in honour of Francis McManus. Thank you and good night. <laughs> <laughs>